I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Welcome to the next episode of The Remedy with Tobacito. I know that all of you are gonna be just as excited as I am when I tell you who I have in my studio today. It's Janice Gant, who all of you are slowly but surely falling in love with after all of our sex talks. Um, I begged her to come back and do an episode on parenting, um, mostly because I believe I am a halfway decent parent. You are a very good parent. Because of everything that you have taught me. So um, I'm super excited about our topic today. Um, I think that if you are a mom or a dad, um, out of all the hats that you wear, if you're married, I guess being a husband or wife is more the most important. But right. outside of that, being a parent is probably the hat that we wear that takes up so much emotional headspace and it ha- does, heart yes. and headspace. Yes. Um, thanks for having me. Tova. Oh my god! I'm glad to be here again. I'm I hope so your happy listeners are not tired of me. Uh-uh. <laughs> they're not tired of you. I promise you that. Oh, good. People, good. one. Of, in fact, my best friend from California texted me after the sex too. Yes. And she was like, "Okay, I'm so ticked. I don't live in Dallas because I feel like I need Janice." So bad. Like so she nice. just she says, I just love hearing her voice. I love hearing her talk. She just makes me feel so much better. And oh, and so you nice. do. I mean, you just have such an amazing way about you. And I, you. I mean, every time I leave your office, I have this resolve that I'm gonna be okay. You know, and that's Good. a that's a gift. That's that, a gift. Well, I, a gift it's people. a privilege. All of it is. Tell your friend that I travel. <laughs> I will. And and FaceTime, which I'm learning yes, more. Yes, I do. do. I do quite of. a bit of that now. <laughs> okay, so parenting. Yes. Um, what percent of your um, of your business, of your um, of your clientele come to see you because they are worried or stressed out about their children? Well, I don't know that I would say probably 30% come in specifically for that reason because they are there are some issues with their kids and they want to talk to me about it. I don't see young children. I see a few adolescents, but um, not a lot. But I think that even when people come in as individuals talking about themselves and couples as well, that a lot of time the issues going on with their kids will crop into Mm -hmm. the conversations because it affects their relationship with one another. And it, as a parent, it, it affects our relationship with self Mm. because our kids are so weighty, you know, we Mm -hmm. just want to do a great job with them and we want them to be happy and we want them to grow up and be productive. And so there's a lot of weightedness to mothering or being a father it's so true it's so true that um i mean out of out of all the hats that we wear and all the things that we do um how much 
being a mom weighs on me. I mean, I, I really want to be a great mom. And I mean, and I'm, I screw up all the time. I'm not a perfect mom, but I, I mean, I want to get that right. Well, we do. And, you know, we also, as our kids start to go through adolescence, well, even in elementary school, when they're not invited to a birthday party or when they go to middle school and, you know, middle school kids are not notorious for being unkind to one another or high school and they get bro- the a boy or a girl breaks up with them or college and even as your children get married and leave home they have life issues and as a parent it's very difficult to be okay when your kids are not okay and I, yeah. I, I have parents I have one a client in, in particular who he always says I'm only as happy as my least happy child mm-hmm. you know and that's a little bit of an issue I think we have as parents, but it's very difficult to separate ourselves from our children's issues or if they're sad or brokenhearted or depressed, it's difficult. Yeah. So it's a big job. It is, it is not for the faint of heart. It is a big job. Yeah. And you know what? When you consider, I mean, the when I first started going to you and I started telling you all the things that I was struggling with. Right. Um, one of your first questions was, tell me about your mom. Yeah. Tell me about your dad. I mean, we do, we do need to get it right because so much of our adult, I have learned so many of my adult problems, for lack of a better word, or issues have been a result from, from my childhood. Things, it, trauma or, or um, things that my parents did or didn't do that have now affected me as an adult. It's true because we learn how to be women typically from watching our moms and men learn how to be men from watching their dads. And even if your parents are together and have stayed together for 50 years, let's say, it doesn't necessarily mean that their relationship was real functional because a lot of people will stay together in their dysfunction and they become so comfortably miserable, that, but that's their normal, so they won't make changes. So there's always a history mm-hmm. around what I call dysfunctional behavior, and what that means is that the behavior just doesn't work as well, like in a relationship or as a parenting skill. For example, I, I was spanked as a child, and I spanked my daughters uh, when they were young. It's one of my biggest regrets. I, I say I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I did that. Still, Anytime it comes still, up, oh. yeah, I'm still apologizing because oh. I don't think that it's the way to parent. And I think that I call it the lazy man's way to punish. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really work. I mean, the prisons are filled with people who were spanked a lot. Mm-hmm. So we know that that's not the most effective way to parent, but but I spanked because I was spanked, and nobody told me that that was not the way to do it. I think the thing that's funky about that is that we tell our children all the time, it's not okay to hit people, and yet mm. if you're hitting your child, then you are doing what you're asking them not to do. So, True. so I've yeah. I've never thought about that. I mean, I've never thought about that. Yeah. I, was, I was spanked. I was, I was spanked. I was more than spanked when I was growing up. And it it gave me, a, you know, I would read and hear those things that if you were spanked or if you were abused in any way, the chances of you doing that to your children end up being a lot higher. Right, right. And 
I remember that just gave me a resolve that I would never, ever spank my children. Well, that's good. I mean, and I think that that information has come out, you know, fairly recently. I mean, it was just kind of the norm, although there are a lot of people my age who did not do it. But, um, But I think that now we know that that not only doesn't work, but it is not loving. And so part of the part of the skill of parenting is to be able to discipline lovingly and with kindness. Mm-hmm. What what does the word discipline mean? Do you know? Well, no. I think I think the way I look at it is limit setting and mm-hmm. I like that better. So if mm-hmm. you know, if I can say to my child it's not okay for you to hit your sister or it's not okay for you to roll your eyes at me and I want that to stop, then what I'm doing is I'm setting limits for a child, which is part of the role of being a parent. Mm-hmm. I I believe that a parent's job is, number one, to nurture the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, number two is to hear the child. So you're going to recognize their personhood. Mm-hmm. And then the other is to set limits. So when I say, that's just not going to work for me. So if you choose to do that again, then you're going to have to go to your room. Then I'm developing some consequences for that behavior until they internalize it. I like that second one. What was number two? How did you? How did you? Say that, that? Learning to hear them, learning letting hear them. acknowledging their personhood. Mm-hmm. So that would look something really like, um, let's say I have an adolescent and they come in and say I want to go to that ranch party. Then the way I would. What you do with that, using those three criteria, is you would say, listen, I, I love you very much, you're precious, and you're safe, because that's what a child needs to know. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, I want you to know that I also understand why you want to go to that ranch party. I would want to go, too, mm-hmm. if I were your age. Mm-hmm. But And then the limit setting is, but that I'm not going to allow you to go because it is my job as a parent to help keep you safe, and I believe that that's potentially dangerous for you. Mm-hmm. So that's how you learn. That's how I teach people to set limits with their kids. It's so good. That's something I think that has been really important for me to learn as a mom of teenagers. And like uh, hearing hearing them and not dismissing what what it is they're saying, what it is they want, what it is they're going through. Right. Um, like even my son yesterday, Carter was telling me that something that George, my other son, had shared with him that was difficult. And I said, well, he told you that? He told you he's struggling with that? And and he said, yeah. And I said, what did you say? And he said, I just said, oh, it, you, you, it's not that bad. It's not hard. To, it's not, you don't need to struggle yes. with that. And I was like, Carter, don't say that. I said, you know, maybe talk through some solutions um, or just say, gosh, that must be really hard. Tell me more about that. Or, and I said, but don't dismiss right. that, that George feels like that. Right. And right. he was like, okay, okay, okay. But that's what we do, you know, and I've done, I'm sure I've done it a thousand times as a mom. Oh, that, why are you letting her get to you? Just, just let it go. Just let it roll off your shoulder. Exactly. I mean, they can't do, do that. Exactly. You know? They can't and, do that. And, you know, uh, we even will do that with our partners. So the 
it's the same skill that you're going to use in your significant other relationship as you do with your children is to not be dismissive or to not say, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. You shouldn't think that or you should not feel that way. It's more about, okay, I hear you and I understand that that must be really hard for you. Is there something I could do to make that better or... Mm-hmm. You know, just letting them know that their reality, which is their thinking, their feeling, their body reality, and their behavior, matters. So you and it's real, and it's real to them. Mm -hmm. Even if inside you're thinking, "Are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) You're crying about this?" (laughs) Yes, yes. And you know, I think we've talked about this, but growing up in West Texas, little boys were told, "Shake it off, shake it off." Oh, come on, you're not going to, you don't need to be crying about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we we are disowning a part of the child's reality. Mm-hmm. And that is going to, that's going to start to erode their confidence and their self-esteem. Because self, the only thing self-esteem is, is understanding my personhood. Mm-hmm. It's not about how well I, you know, do a herky jump or mm-hmm. do a flip-flop or catch a pass. That's more of a talent, but our self-esteem is based on just understanding that I matter because I breathe, mm-hmm. because I'm a child of God. And I, I actually think that is a, the primary purpose of parenting, is to make sure that we are helping our children own their value. Mm-hmm. You know, you if we, I don't believe there's anything any such thing as a bad person. I don't either. If you go to the newborn nursery, my book has mm-hmm. talks about this a lot, is mm-hmm. you go to the newborn nursery and you look at the babies and you try to pick out a bad baby, mm-hmm. there just simply aren't any. Right. Even if it were baby Hitler or baby Osama right. bin Laden, whatever, you right. know. And so for us to be able to say to our children, our children, even when we're unhappy with them, look, that behavior has got to stop. It is not okay. But I want you to know that you matter. And there is nothing in the world you could do that would cause me to not love you or not want you as my child. So that they learn to, we're not creating self-esteem in them. We are helping them to be aware of it mm-hmm. so that they own it. That is so powerful, and I can't imagine how many. I mean, I remember, Janice, I remember years ago sitting in your office and you telling me that you as, a, as an adult. Oh, yes. I mean, I can tell you, I could probably tell you what I was wearing. It was so profound for me. But you told me, Tova, you have value because you breathe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? I mean, I'd never heard anything like that in my whole life. I had value in my house because my room was clean right. and I had good grades right. and I didn't ever do anything wrong and I didn't talk back. And my value came from what I did or what I did not do. And hearing right. hearing that I had value because I had breath, that was an, an incredibly life-changing. And, and I... I believe that if I had grown up knowing that, so many of my choices would have been different. Right, right. Because I would have seen, I would have done, made choices out of my value, not out of my lack. Right. And when we don't do that with our kids, then what we teach them is to be people pleasers Mm -hmm. 
and to chameleon themselves and to lose their sense of self. And so we're looking on the outside saying, how am I doing? How am I doing? As opposed to looking on the inside and being like, okay, I'm acting within my value system. And I, even if I mess up, that has no reflection whatsoever on my value. And I think the thing, in my opinion, that is so important about that is once I realized that about myself, then I could extend it to my fellow man. Mm -hmm. You know, I went back to graduate school when I was 42, and and I worked at Interventions, which is the Dallas County Judicial Treatment Center, and I was on a a unit of 40 men who were convicted of drug-related felonies, and they were also addicts. So we treated them for criminal thinking errors as well as their addiction. And, I mean, we had pedophiles, we had bloods, crips, all in a sundry of people on that unit. And when I started really grasping that whole concept, I, I looked around that room at all those men and I thought, they're just like me. Yeah. Their behavior is different. Their behavior may be atrocious, but their value is constant. Mm-hmm. And then so must I, my value is constant. So then I can extend it to my fellow man. And I think this is scriptural because, you know, Scripture says love your neighbor as yourself, Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what we do. If we don't really love and honor ourselves, we can't extend it to other people in a healthy manner. So it's, it's really important with our children, you know, because, I mean, think about that. If you grew up thinking, oh, my gosh, I matter because I breathe, and there is no one, no one on this earth who is a better person than me because we're all the same Mm -hmm. their behavior may be better or they may be more talented in a particular area you wouldn't have all of this self-loathing which is really at the root of most dysfunctional behavior yeah you wouldn't have anxiety and depression that's for sure yeah something that's an amazing thing to say I think I just think it's really important as a parent that we really do that. I um, when I first started working on this concept for myself, I nailed a nail in the door frame of my back door to where as I was entering the house, I saw this nail and below it I wrote, "I matter because I breathe." And that it's that that's as as firmly planted as the nail was in that. Mm-hmm. door frame it didn't go up or down mm-hmm. and it was really it was really helpful for me to do that wow. that's so, really 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 powerful i bet a ton of people are going to run out and get some nails <laughs> good <laughs> yes get a piece of paper yeah and think about if we do that with our kids I know. I know. every you know we have them do that every time they walk in the door i feel like if we if we just if that's the only thing that that anybody gets out of this, that that is a huge win. That telling your children that they matter because they breathe, that they don't have to do anything or be anything or become anything um, to be loved and adored. Yeah, I mean, that it's important. Chokes me up. Well, because then they don't go from less than to better than, and right. that's the swing. You know, when you feel mm-hmm. shame, which is feeling like there's something wrong with you intrinsically, your value then in order to pull yourself up out of that, rather than pulling yourself up to that middle place of I matter because I breathe, typically we pull ourselves up to be better than others. And that's what's all about, 
you know, racism and prejudices and hate is about those. I mean, they're, they're all shame-based behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so we will compensate for that by overcompensating and yeah. pulling ourselves And gossip. Up. I mean, and gossip, same gossip thing. fall into that category? Exactly. Yeah. What, do you, do you believe that there is dysfunction in every family? Oh, sure. You I do? always, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say that, that you know, yeah. <laughs> oh, sure, because we're human. Mm-hmm. So we were, although our value is non-negotiable, we were created to be perfectly imperfect. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reason we were created with that imperfection is so that we would need God and need our fellow man. Mm. You know, if I could do it just fine by myself, I'd be sitting on an island with a prayer drink with an umbrella in it or something (laughs) all alone you know and so that so that imperfection is you know sometimes I'll walk out in my lobby and I'll have like two people sitting there the other day I had three I had triple overbooked oh no way (laughs) yes it was horrible Who and, did you choose? <laughs> oh, it was well. You know what's so interesting oh is the gosh. two two of the people were just so sweet, and they're like, "No, we'll go, we'll go, we'll come back." Anyway, it was just you know so embarrassing, it's hilarious. But I always say, "Yeah, well, that's what happens when you have a human therapist." Is that <laughs> I am very perfectly imperfect. But learning to mm-hmm. learning to even discipline with that in mind is when you say, "Okay, you know what? When you just." told me to shut up or when you rolled your eyes at me that is not okay you matter and that will never change but as a result of those behaviors go in your room and spend an hour and think about that mm-hmm. you know so we can discipline out of that same idea mm-hmm. and i think it would be much 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 more effective mm. i i know because i have children that at different stages kids need different things. Children need different things at different ages. So young babies, you know, baby to toddler, what's, what are their biggest needs? What's most important for those moms and dads? I think that, uh, nurturing, just love, 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 can't get enough of you touching a lot of, uh, hugs and sitting in their lap. You know, we, we're not going to spoil a baby. Mm-hmm. We can condition a baby to when their brains have developed to the point of recognizing that they are awake and they want some attention and they start screaming. That's conditioning, mm-hmm. but we're not going to spoil our children. Mm. You can't spoil a baby. No, you can't mm-hmm. spoil a baby. That's good. That's, yeah, that's... you really can't. I mean, mm-hmm. you can condition them to wake up every night, <laughs> but that's more about you also is not <laughs> being able to allow them to cry, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that's really important. And then as two-year-olds start venturing away from your lap and, um, and start getting into things, is I think it's really important that you keep your environment very safe mm-hmm. because they will venture into things. But that they're starting to develop, their brain is developed to the point of having a little bit of independence, mm-hmm. and there's a, they're learning to be separate from you. So it's really important. And a lot of times, parents will talk about their not so much the two year old because they're kind of prepared for that, but three year olds can be little toots you Mm -hmm. know their behavior can be really sort of annoying as a parent but 
that that's exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. So understanding that as the brain develops, the behavior is going to be less comfortable for the parents. And they're going to start, they're going to start feeling what it feels like to be separate. So is that why there's all the no's? Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> Come here. Yes. No. Or, you know, when we, I think it's, I always think it's really interesting too when you're, you know, when you have three-year-olds or four-year-olds and they have a little friend over to play and we tell them, no, you have to share your toys. You've got to share. You've got to share. But we don't let, we don't want them to share with our stereos or our remote controls or our phones. <laughs> I didn't even think about stuff that. stuff like that. <laughs> we don't share. No, we don't share. And <laughs> when we say, that. this is mommy's, that's yours, you know, so mm -hmm, then, but it's mm -hmm. really confusing. So, but again, them being a little territorial with their things is a very natural mm. developmental task that we want to have happen in the brain because the brain is changing so radically from the time of infancy to like four-year-olds. I mean, it's really phenomenal. Piaget did all of these, the stages of the development of the brain, and it's really fascinating to read about it. But what's good about it is when your children are doing all of these things, you got a big old case of the normals on your hand, you know, mm -hmm. and so you can breathe inside. It's not always so much fun, but it's not, there's nothing psychopathological about it. It's just like expecting a teenager to be generous and loving and kind. <laughs> and thoughtful. And thoughtful <laughs> and not self-centered. Parents will talk about that a lot. They'll say, my teenager, all they do is think about themselves. I'm like, yes, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's their brain that egocentricism. Correctly. It's exactly what, and it's actually what we want them to do because um, so then there was another guy that, uh, Eric Erickson, who came right after Freud, and he developed the psychosocial stages of development. And when from age 12 to 18, well, up until age 12, children are all about their families. Mm. And they want to please and they want to be accepted and they want their parents to applaud their behavior and stuff. But from age 12 to 18, two things that we want to have happen. We want teenagers to shift from independence mm -hmm. into independence. Mm -hmm. And we want them to shift from uh, role confusion to role identity. So up until age 12, children are who they, churches, schools, parents, tell them they are. Mm -hmm. So we want them from age 12 to 18 to develop their own sense of self, their own value system, mm -hmm. what they think about sex, what they think about drugs, blah, blah, blah. And so, um, so, so your children push, the only way for them to do that is to push against the system. Mm -hmm. and, so, and the system is the parents. The, the system, system is, is the family. primarily mm -hmm. the parents, schools and churches mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. But we, a lot of parents want their adolescents to be just like they are. They want to tell them what to believe. They want to tell mm -hmm. them how they need to act all the time rather than saying, let's say, listen, I, I know that you don't really Want that you would much rather sleep than go to church. I get that. I mm -hmm. totally get it. But I'm your dad. I'm your mom. And we're going to go to church. So put your clothes on and let's go. You know, but rather than you should want to do this or you need to be me, 
we don't want developing little mini-me's. We want kids to really know what their value is so that they have the ability to say no to peers. Mm. When somebody offers mm. them, you know, weed, that they say, no, I'm not going to do that. Because they understand who they are. Because it's their value. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I will tell parents also, I'll say, okay, so you say, let, let's say drinking. And you say, okay, my value about drinking or drinking and driving, whatever, is this. I know I can't control you. Mm-hmm. Because we don't control mm-hmm. is an illusion, mm-hmm. and we can't. Once about they turn about two, we start really, really losing control. <laughs> and <laughs> so, two were toast. And two were toast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we say. So I, I. So here's my value on drinking. If you, it's it's not good for you to drink when you're 16. Your brain isn't developed well enough to handle it. You're going to increase your chances for developing an addiction. Goes way up when you drink earlier, and so. But if you choose to do it, and I know that it is your choice, mm-hmm. then your car keys are going to go in my purse. But we'll get you a bike. Mm-hmm. So you choose. Mm-hmm. You drink, no car. Mm-hmm. You don't drink, you get a car. Mm-hmm. So you choose. So what, what we're doing if we parent like that is we're teaching our children to make choices because it's best for them mm-hmm. is their thinking. I would much rather have a car than I would rather drop. I'd die if I had to ride my bike to Highland <laughs> Park High School. <laughs> you know, so there's not a lot of kids who do that. <laughs> no, but, but that's what, so, so you're shifting it. You're mm-hmm. shifting that power to them to think, I'm going to make the choices that are best for me, which is what really creates a functional adult. Okay. I love this. So this just happened last night. I was at dinner with, uh, with Carter and George and we're about to start school. And I asked Carter, who's going into high school, I said, Hey, okay. So I want to ask you a question. Is there anything that I can do as a mom that you think would help your high school experience? Like, anything, name it. And he was like, um, you know, he sat there and thought about it for a second. He said, okay, yeah, I I do know what it is. And I said, all right. And he said, I don't need you to put any pressure on me um, when it comes to grades. And I said, okay. And he said, mom, and, and he said, and I don't even need consequences. Like, cause if they, if, if he made less than a B, cause he's so smart, he uh-huh. just doesn't try mm-hmm. or doesn't apply himself to right. his potential. And so if he made a B, I would take his phone, every B, anything lower than an A, he'd lose his phone for a week. So he, and he said, and I don't need consequences, mom. And he said, listen, I know what I need to do. I, I am in charge of my future. I'm excited about my future. I want to work hard for my future. And I, I am going to do better if you tell me that you trust me and you believe in me and you just let me do it on my own. I love it. And I said, okay. Love it. I will never look at another report card again. I said, it's, I'm, I am giving the baton to you. You're in charge now. And he's like, that makes me feel so much better. And I felt so much better. I mean, there's this relief. I don't don't want to worry about his grades. It is his future. It's not my future. It's his college experience. It's not my college experience. He knows how much I love him, how much I'm going to support him, how much 
all of it, but I right. can't do it for him. No. You know, I can't do it for him. And I, it's going to make everybody happier if I just let that go. Well, I think the thing that's so cool about that, Toba, is what you realized for yourself and what you made it very clear to Carter that you are separate from him. Yeah. His performance is not a reflection on you. Yeah. And that's very difficult for parents to get. I'll have parents come in and they'll say, we made blah, blah, blah on the SAT. And I'll say, did you take it? <laughs> did your child, did both of you take it? Because you said we. I'm really confused about that. Or we are going to Harvard. You are? How fun. You're going to go with your child. You know, which is really uh, what we really want to do because because we don't have control over that. And we want our children, that's that separation, that getting from dependence to independence, that your future is in your hands. When my daughter Blair, who is so funny, and when she was like a sophomore in high school, she came, or no, she was like a junior. And she came in one day and she said, so I've decided I'm not going to go to college. And I was like, okay, well, that's if that's your choice. But just so you know, if you choose not to go to college, then that phone that I pay for and your car and your credit card are going back into my possession <laughs> because it's actually mine. And you have to move out the day after high school. <laughs> but you can come over for Sunday dinner. <laughs> Anytime you want. Anytime you want. You know, and it was about 30 minutes later, she came in and she was like, I changed my mind. I am going to go to college. And I'm like, good, because I'll pay for all of that if you go to college. That is awesome. Yeah, it was funny. But, you know, we really are not a reflection of our children. Why do we think we are? Why? Well, why, we, do, why? So, so I hear that and my mind hears that. And I'm like, of course, Anna Prynne is not an extension of me. But if Anna Prynne got pregnant... Mm-hmm. Um, I it would be ha- really hard for me to not feel that this wasn't a reflection of me as her mom. Right, it is hard. And so, wh- why do we do that? And how do we stop that thinking? How do we get? Well, how do we lose that? One of the things that I suggest that parents do is, and I I do this with my daughters. When I learned it, I started implementing it. But it I. It, I don't say I'm so proud of you. Mm-hmm. I say, wow, I bet you're so proud of yourself. Mm-hmm. Because my I, what any of my children accomplish, I don't need to be puffed up about. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my accomplishment. It was theirs. So that's one thing that I learned to do. And another thing was to really give them ownership of that. You know, another mistake I think we make with kids, and some people are not going to like this at all, but we say just do your best. And I think that's a lot of pressure. I mean, if you've mm-hmm. ever made an A, then all A's is your best. Mm-hmm. And I rather I would say to the child, so how do you feel about that grade? Mm-hmm. Are you cool with that? And once they decide where they want to go to college is, you know, get a get a call admission and get some information about what requirements are and put it on their bulletin board and let them look at it mm-hmm. and let them figure out if they want mm-hmm. if that's what they want to do you know but i think that the reason why we do so associate with our children's accomplishments 
or their uh, learning experience. Yeah, see, I don't even use the word failures or mm. mistakes. Mm-hmm. I say their learning experiences. Mm, that's good. And really is good. that um, is that that's what our parents did with us, mm. and so we get. Just a lot. I mean, we people say, oh, God, I know you're so proud of your children. They've done so much. And I'll say, you know, I have a lot of admiration for my children. Oh, that's good. But they're really, and I hope they're proud of themselves for that. Mm-hmm. So you're really consciously separating ownership of that. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I mean, it's not so mm-hmm. hard when they're doing great. Mm-hmm. What's hard is if they get into some trouble or you know, you know, it's so funny about you saying it's not that hard when it's great. You, you brought up something that you just said when you said, um, you know, when our kids accomplish something, we kind of take that on as well. I, I, I know I've never even thought about that, but when my kids do well or accomplish or achieve something that is outstanding, just as, as freaked out as I'd be if Anna Prince showed up pregnant is as good as I feel, you know, if yeah. I'm just being honest, yeah. I can't help but think, gosh, I've done a great job with them. <laughs> yeah. You know, when they do something fabulous. Well, and you have, and mm. there's no doubt that her accomplishments in many, many, many ways are the result of the loving, tender, prayerfully, mothering skills that you've developed and so that has had an influence on her but, but her it's not ac- because her accomplishments me. are hers yes. yes so yes the mm-hmm. influence mm-hmm. you know and that goes both ways i mean i can sit at the dinner table and my girls will laugh about me putting these gigantic bows in their hair when they were little <laughs> you know and i'm like i know I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So I make amends all the time for all of my dysfunctional mothering. You saying you're sorry reminded me. I read something somewhere, and I'm interested to get your um, to get your insight on this. But I read somewhere that as parents, we're going to make huge mistakes, and. Right. And so it's not so much the mistakes, but it's the ability to go back to your children and apologize. That the apology and saying, I'm sorry, I mean, what I read is that it can almost obliterate, wipe that mistake out as if it never happened. Because a parent apologizing to a child is just that powerful. Well, and the thing that's so cool about it, too, is that it allows the child... To forgive themselves Mm -hmm. is to be able, you've modeled that, listen, I'm human, I'm perfectly imperfect, and like if, if, let's say you yell at your kids, Mm -hmm. which yelling is not okay, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's abuse when we yell at people, but every now and then you may do that, and to be able to go back in and say, you know what, I I was feeling so angry, but that is my problem, that's my issue, you don't make me feel anything. I make myself feel all of these emotions and I apologize for yelling because it's the behavior that wasn't okay. Not having the anger, that's human. But when you're able to acknowledge that, it is, it really is kind of like an etch-a-sketch. After I wrote my book, uh, my mother, uh, 
read it through the first time, and she was like, I don't know anybody who has that shame. And I was thinking, <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> and, and, then, so um, and then one day I was driving home from work, and she called me, and she said, I have read Chapter 4 in your book like six times. And she said, I finally got it, and I am so sorry for those things that I did. And it was, I mean, I'm surprised we didn't hear the hallelujah chorus because <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. And it, it is, it was like somebody pulled the Etch-A-Sketch tab all the way over and it was gone. So that's such a, for that, to be able to say that to your children gives them such freedom mm-hmm. to be real with themselves and to be real with other people because you've modeled it. So that's... That's really good. good. I even have gone so far, and and I think it's pretty powerful when I apologize to my children, and then I look at them and I say, will you please forgive me? Yeah. Yeah. Will you please forgive me? And, I mean, my sweet Georgie is, I'll always forgive you, Mommy. I mean, of course, they're always going to forgive you. They want, they want. They want repair. Yes, they want repair. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone is dealing with, um, I'd like to spend just a minute on um, teenagers and rebellious behavior and talking back and pushing back. I would love to know, and I'm sure it's, I don't know how easy or hard of a question this is, but what is typical and, and what is like, oh, that's not, um, that's not typical. We should be worried about our child's behavior. Do it, am I making sense? In yes, that you're question? making a lot okay. of sense. I think typical adolescent behavior is, is, I think girls and boys are different. I think mm-hmm. girls can tend to get really, really, really bitchy mm-hmm. and their hormones are going Emotional. crazy. And, you know, girls can be really tough when they're uh, around other girls. And so they're going to feel some anger. And plus, they just are feeling different, you know, because their bodies are changing so much. So um, I think sultriness, I think self-centeredness, I think all of that is very typical adolescence. I think I would be concerned, obviously I'd be concerned if I felt like one of my children or if an adolescent were cutting or if they were, if they're, if they're really kind of over the edge, you'll see some behaviors mm-hmm. You know, if they, if you see a drastic change in like their clothing, let's say they uh, have been pretty mainstream the way they dress and then they get into a lot of real black stuff, I would want to talk to them about that to see what was going on with that. Um, if they are, if their sleeping habits have changed drastically, I would want to know about that mm-hmm. because there is a lot of, uh, there are varying levels of depression in adolescence. There are a lot of depression adolescents. And so you ask them, you say, are you feeling depressed? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, um, uh, you know, and if you, if anybody's ever really concerned about their child, then, then you should say, have you thought about hurting yourself? Mm-hmm. Because nobody ever says, well, no, but now that you mention it, that's a good idea. Right. You know, you're not it, giving. You don't. Need you're to worry not putting about an it. idea mm-hmm. in their head. And if somebody is suicidal, we want to know. And then you know, if somebody says, if they say, well, yeah, then then you need to call somebody mm-hmm. because they don't because they're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You know. So, and I think with boys, I think if they get real aggressive, mm-hmm. typically children will act out in being in anger, absolute silence. 
Now, teenagers want to be in their rooms by themselves. I was going to ask that. Yeah, that is really (laughs) normal. That's totally normal. Yeah, I would go in and say, okay, I got it five minutes. And I'd just look at them and make, you know, talk to them for just a minute. But that's really normal. You know what? When that changed in my house, you know, they used to all be right at my feet. And I was like, oh, my gosh, when (laughs) are you going to get out from underneath me? (laughs) And then it was like overnight one day we, you know, we would all get home from church or going some, you know, dinner together. And then they would just, you know, scatter like roaches. (laughs) And I'm like, what the hell? What? What are you doing in here? I mean, it doesn't matter. They just... Nothing. They all go to their rooms. Nothing. <laughs> they, they all go to their rooms. They do. You know, anytime somebody brings an adolescent in my office with some pretty big things going on, they're acting out something that's going on at home. Mm. So I... Uh, it's why I don't typically like to see adolescents that much because the parents bring the child in as the problem and I know there's a bigger problem going on in the house and so you know the parents some parents are very reluctant to look at themselves mm-hmm. but there are some really good really good adolescent psychologist or therapist and some really good young children because little kids will act stuff out too mm-hmm. you know they'll have some anxiety or acting out in school or something if parents are getting a divorce or if there's a lot of fighting or somebody dies something like that mm-hmm. I like I like that idea that there's typical behavior and then there's things that are not not typical or that you want to be aware of and and the truth is if something dramatically changes about your child, if you're paying attention, you know. Yeah. And then ask somebody about it. Yeah. Don't hesitate. I mean, people right. could always pick up the phone and call me and say, this is going on in my house. And I'll say, well, I think you ought to go talk to somebody, you know. So, but but the, I remember driving down Preston Road. I was like, Preston Road and Lover's Lane. And our Bren, my oldest daughter, who's just so lovely now, but <laughs> she was 14. And, oh, my gosh, she's the oldest. And I, and I was thinking, we We'll both we'll, we're going to be on Oprah because we will beat each other to pulp. Jerry Springer probably Jerry is Springer like is probably yeah not Oprah. <laughs> I don't know that Oprah would have had you. <laughs> but then when Wesley and Blair went through it, I was like, okay, this is just mm-hmm. the fourteen-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, doldrums, mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm. uh, and if you ask them, a lot of times they'll tell you, even if they say nothing. And you're like, well, yeah, it doesn't look like it. And then another thing that parents can say is, you know, I remember being 14, and I remember it being really hard. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling like I was on the outside looking in. Do you feel that way, too? So then, you know, you can get some of that information out of them. What, what, when or where is the best time to have those conversations with adolescents? Well, I think that's what's great about driving kids around. I think in the car mm-hmm. is a good thing. And sometimes at night when mm-hmm. you're going in and you're going to kiss them goodnight, you just sit on the side of their bed mm-hmm. and have that. I've, morning is not good Yeah, morning because is, they are not happy creatures right, in the morning. Right. I, you know what? Uh, as my children are approaching the driving age, I am feeling myself being more anxious about taking mm-hmm. them places. Like, uh-huh. You know, they'll be like, it's so-and-so's mom's picking me up. I'm like, no, 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 I'll take you. Uh-huh. Because I feel like that's some of the only time I mm-hmm. get with them now. I mean, mm-hmm. I I tease that I'm their Uber driver, but I really secretly want to be. Yeah. Because, and I don't let my kids look at their phones when we're in the car. Oh, I'm good. Like, you have to put your phone up in the car. Oh, cool. You have to talk to me. Well, and you know <laughs> what you could also do is have that, um, is make sure that, you 
even if you're not driving them as much, you could take make sure you're spending one-on-one time with them. You know, take each of mm-hmm. them out to dinner or mm-hmm. go on a walk and, you know, just so that you have some of that one-on-one okay, time. Okay, that is, that is something that you inspired me to do years ago. Have a date oh, with your kids. it's my favorite thing. Yeah. Because they will open up. All three of them yeah. will totally open up and tell me something. I always learn something every single time. Yeah. And, and they're going to open up more with you one-on-one than yeah. they will with their siblings. Oh, there. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I always make it about them. They get to choose wherever yeah. we go. They get to pick. I mean, Love it. one of my kids, we go to the same restaurant every time. The other one wants to try something new every time. I and mean, it's just all about them. Love it. It is. It is one of my favorite things. Yeah. And, and let me tell you something. As quickly as all this goes by, I mean, I'm life and death to get a date night once once a quarter right. with, with my kids, and it and and it's just flying. I mean, I know. I'm counting. I have three more Christmases. <laughs> I you know, I, I mean, we're on the we're on the tail end of this, and it just seems oh, like they just got here. I know. It's crazy. I know. It's crazy. They're so precious. So a parent who is really struggling um with letting go of control they're let's just say their children are acting out or being difficult or or their children you know they wanted a football player or a cheerleader and their child is a bookworm or is not social like just struggling to to not uh control their children what would you what would you say to them well i think that Control is an illusion, like I said earlier, and I think the more we try to control, the less effective we're going to be because they're going to push against it, which again, like I said, that's what we want them to do. Mm -hmm. So what rather... when we're trying to control, we want them to be us. Mm. And so rather than us trying to focus on their children being just like us... I would encourage them to focus on really spending some time talking to their kids about what they want, Mm -hmm. you know, so that we enter their world instead Mm -hmm. of insisting that they thrive in our world. It's really good. It's really good. I think, I think that that's hard. It is hard. It's really hard because it's easy to connect with your children, with the things that you're familiar with and, and what you are like growing up, but our children are not... You know, I have to say that is probably one big advantage to having adopted children uh-huh. because my children don't look like me uh-huh. and, uh-huh. and you know, their birth parents and their country that they came from, they're from Ghana. It was really different. It's different than me. Yeah. My daughter can't compare her body to mine right. because genetically we're nothing totally alike, different. but I think there's some freedom in that. And they're, if they're really different from me, I mean, I think I'm kind of lucky because people are looking at me and like, of course, they're going to be different. They're not biologically hers, you know? So I don't know. I just thought about how I'm kind of lucky that way. I've never felt pressure to make my kids more like me because they They can't be. They can't be. Right. They're nothing like me. And they never have been like me. Right. but and so I and I look at the, how different we are, and I, it fascinates me. And I know I, I love it, and I appreciate it. Yeah, so, that's really good. Yeah, I'm kind of lucky. Maybe yeah, that's a big plug for adoption right there. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> is. You, you relinquish some of the control, some of that illusion. Yeah, some of that fake 
fake uh-huh. illusion. You mind if yeah. I jump in with a question before you no, leave? No, no, go. I love when you uh, jump in. Just out of curiosity, you mentioned earlier how um, sons have a tendency to you know kind of emulate their fathers, and same with daughters and their mothers. Do you see that that's more abundant in families with you know multiple siblings? That perhaps that kind of skips when it comes to the younger sibling, and it just more applies to the older. Well, it could because the younger siblings may start to identify with the older siblings. You know, so if you, let's say you had an older brother that was, you know, probably anywhere from like five years older and up, and they were a really great athlete or a great musician, I could see you really identifying with, let's say, that more so than your father. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a good question. But you notice, like, if it is a younger sibling, say, um, you know, the oldest son, totally is wants to be like their dad and then the younger brother is almost the antithesis of that like the exact opposite tries yeah. to do everything that just to kind of push you know against the grain yeah 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 and there are and there are kids who don't want to be like their parents but what we'll see is even if they're not trying to identify with the like skills like playing the drums or something if your father was a musician it's more about what do they do with anger do they rage or do they go you know, radio silent. Right. So if you look at behaviors on a continuum, where we want to operate and where we want our kids to learn to live is between, let's say, 30 and 70. Because we want moderation is is functional behavior is moderation. And so we want our kids to do that. But a lot of times we'll get that dysfunctional behavior and bring that in. Okay, perfect. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, well, like, you know, like if you had a brother who was real rebellious and the father chased him around the house with a you know, a belt, and the younger child might have looked at that and been like, Mm-mm, I'm not going to do that out of self-preservation. You could see some of that. Gotcha. Also. Okay. But then that child might have trouble talking about their feelings at all. Yeah. True. Um, yeah. Well, I, just in my personal situation, when I was young, I was real rebellious in like high school. I was always getting in trouble. My brother was like the straight A Kind of uh-huh. a dork, um, you know. We uh-huh. didn't, I didn't want we didn't want anything to do with each other in high school because I'm uh-huh. like, you know, you're gonna embarrass me or whatever. Uh-huh. And then, um, you know, I, I was rebellious for years after high school, and eventually realized, oh my god, you know, my, what am I doing with my life? So I got things together, went to college, all that. My brother went to college right out of the out of the gate, graduated, and then started his rebellious yes. later in life, like in his twenties, when I'm already come out of it. I'm like, this isn't cool anymore. You know? yeah. Yeah. I couldn't you believe my mom was saying, "Be more like your older brother," and it was like the weirdest thing. I'm like, how did this switch around like That's that? That's so funny. <laughs> you would have a field day with that. I really would. <laughs> something I think about more and more as I get older, because you know I'm different things are changing in my life or yeah. I'm getting married stuff like that and then I'm wondering like John why are you still doing the stuff that I was doing you know but I can't well, at least judge you've already gotten because... your rebellion out it's a good thing since you're getting married I guess yeah that's a good point <laughs> yeah but those days are long over but, sorry I didn't mean to hijack no no no, no it's I good it, I like Kevin. it too. I love when you ask questions I do too they're always good I can't imagine Kevin being real wild I can't it's either such a nice so man oh I was a boy. nightmare for my parents at <laughs> one time oh the worst yeah. I can't even imagine it. <laughs> oh, that's really Well, that's good, funny. I guess. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Janice, for for the young moms that are listening um, who grew up with, let's say, I mean, I remember when I was a brand new mom and I had a lot of fears about, I mean, I remember just holding my babies and thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to screw this up. You know, <laughs> I'm going to, you have, you you have all this confidence and excitement as a as a pregnant woman, and then you're holding this thing that now you're mm-hmm. responsible for. And I just remember feeling overwhelmed that 
I was going to screw it up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was really going to screw it up. And all the mistakes that my parents made that I swore I'd never make, you know, mm-hmm. all the things that my mom said, I swore I'd never say or think or do. You know, I, I, there's a lot of repeat behavior or you're afraid of repeat behavior. So what would you say to that new mom who has a lot of anxiety about messing it all up? Well, <clears throat> human beings are um, pretty resilient. And I think that... What we want to do is love our children, and we want to love our children and make sure that we are helping them to really love themselves, and you just can't go wrong with that. I think parenting is frightening because there are so many things that can happen as far as accidents and stuff. You know, I have nine grandchildren, and I am telling you, I am more nervous or with my grandchildren than I were with, was with my children. It's, you know, but I have a mantra that says, you know, Owen has a God and it is not me, mm. or Bryn has a God and it is not me. So, good. and I love that when I start to worry, which is about me thinking I have some sort of control, mm. then I remember that mantra and I'll put myself to sleep sometimes saying that mm. because the, our children do end up, most of them surviving, mm-hmm. not necessarily because of us, but in spite of us, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I think that it's you just can't overlove a child. Yeah, both of both of those things that you just said are such nuggets. Like j- when you're afraid, or when you're you have angst, or when you feel like you don't know what to do, just love them. Like yeah, you cannot just love them. mess up. Yeah. And and your children have a God, and it is not you. Yeah, that is really, really, really. Thank powerful. goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but that relieves us too. Yeah, you know, that totally relieves me. Yeah, and you know, I'll get down on my knees and I'll give it to you, God, because they're your exactly. problem. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it's I'm I'm really lucky because I believe that my God is all good. Yeah. I believe that there's abundance in the world for everybody, yeah. and I believe in an abundant, loving, loving, loving God. So when I turn that over, I can just kind of breathe mm-hmm. and know that however it ends up is going to be okay. It's really good. Yeah. Really good. Janice, thank you so You're much. You're so welcome. Thank I, you I, for having I, me. I, I'm going to start getting messages. When's Janice going to be back on? You might, you might be taking over the remedy here I hope you don't start losing followers. <laughs> I, impossible. Thank you so You're much. You're welcome. Just love you to pieces. I love you too, Toba. So much. Thank you for having Thank me. You.